SummerSlam, Dunkirk and Simon Miller from What Culture and The Miller Report. This is Staying In. I don't want to alarm anyone. <laughs> but what have um, you done? What I've What done, haven't you done? Just watch just watch the window behind him for blue lights. <laughs> <laughs> so what I've what I've been doing is um I, I was sort of aimlessly scrolling along on my mobile phone the other day looking for okay. apps that had been reduced to free. Because you know, I'm a I'm a classy gentleman <laughs> like that. And um one of the things I'd like to do is I want to work on... We talked very vaguely about going down the gym and, and getting uh, you know a bit of exercise and stuff. And uh, we all know about my exercise bike that's covered in dust. One of the things I'd like to do okay. is work on my abs. Okay. <laughs> just, so, just your abs. So, just, but just... Which my, ab? So, so, yeah, just like the bottom two. But like, I go to the gym for my arms and for my legs and I just, I don't ever do sit-ups or anything like that when I'm at the gym, right? So what I found is I found an app, okay? I'm I'm excited about this. I'm excited. Did you find it on the app store? Hey, hey. Uh, I I liked it. Simon, don't encourage him. Please don't encourage him. Um, So... Did it vibrate on your? <laughs> just yeah. hold the phone up. Is it tone it? Just yeah. hold the phone up to your chest, like those horrible Ronaldo adverts. Yeah, where yeah, you just, yeah. There's at, at work because we've always got Sky Sports on, and if I'm working late into the night, that's always when you get those endless adverts of really happy American people doing stuff on odd machines. And there's one with Cristiano Ronaldo where he has that like six pack vibrator and just, it just you, he's just standing there and you see it like jolting his and he does this really weird thing where he stands there looks at the camera smiles and then just smooths his body down and looks <laughs> at you <laughs> and now all I'm imagining is Pete doing that but with like an iPhone yeah on <laughs> six iPhones <laughs> just just masking taped in place mum call me call me. <laughs> right so I've I've downloaded this app, and what this app does is it it is really really simple. It just counts the amount of like sit ups that you've done. Okay, <laughs> I love that you need an app for that. Here's the thing. Here's what I what. Here's the little uh, sort of twist on this. It has leaderboards that you can share with your friends. Now I know you're shaking your heads here, but I, I like it. Right, Simon, you be up for this, right? Like. Uh, where you can basically compete with one another to figure out how many sit-ups you can do. Oh, that's a good idea. It's a great idea. But surely this is just Hernia the video game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's new. Uh, obviously, Sam, you're a fitness person. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> I, I don't want to like. I don't want to bury the lead here. You are a lot fitter than we are combined. I would pay good money to see Pete go to the gym. <laughs> with Simon <laughs> have you used apps Simon or have you just used like willpower it's mostly been willpower I mean I do use some apps I use like my fitness pal that's pretty good because it kind of okay. tells you about you know it, well I mean you shouldn't take it overly seriously because sometimes it just lies but <laughs> it basically it let, you know if you want to know how many calories are in a banana my mm. fitness because you know it's pressing what? stuff my fitness pal will just let you know so I use that quite a lot I don't right. think I've used any other ones. But then again, when I got into fitness, there was literally, this is not a joke either, there was about one website you could go to to talk about fitness. That's how <laughs> in its infancy the internet was. And now obviously the internet is just fitness. Fitness.com. That's, is that, it's called ABC Bodybuilding. And the best thing about it was after a while, it just completely changed and became this massive religious website. And I was like... <laughs> Was it was it was it like the body of the church? Like, yeah. hang on. <laughs> no, honestly, all they did from you know it would change from talking about yeah you know working your abs to you know this is how you find this is when you should go to church and I was like, just all right yeah I mean good for you bench but... pressing tablets. <laughs> yeah, it was really strange. You've conquered the physical world. Now move on to the spirit. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So no, I've never used an app though. Maybe I should. Mm. I like the idea of competitive ab work. I think that sounds good. Well, I think you're you're basically an end of level boss. If I if we were to do <laughs> um, good. <sighs> One of the things that we want to talk about is we talked a while ago, ages ago actually. It was like episode number 
two, number three? It, yeah, it was quite early on in the run. Where we talked a whole bunch about wrestling. Sam got all upset because yeah, he wanted to get involved in the wrestling chat, which is fair enough. Yeah, we, we said in the podcast that we were the only ones who watched it. Sam got very offended when we <laughs> said that. Had a little cry. My level of involvement with wrestling is every once in a while I will read an IGN article to update me, maybe every six months, and just dip back in and go, brilliant, it's still absolute madness. <laughs> uh, and then come away from it again. I So is there something, there's something new happening in the world of WWE or some big events coming up soon? Yes. Is that right? Well, coming up is SummerSlam, which is probably okay. one it's one of the big four events possibly maybe the second biggest of the year so that's coming up very shortly um okay. so we thought we'd take this opportunity as good as we are to have another little mm. chat about wrestling so sam you can also yes. join in and and um, we <laughs> thought we'd, we'd we'd bring on uh simon miller from simon miller's pro wrestling podcast and many other I, wrestling I, related articles that's right. I, but wrestling's basically my criticizing wrestling is now part of my job. That's ridiculous. That's not. <laughs> that's not a job. That's that's mucking around on the internet. It is, and so, it's and it's fun to criticize as well, because yeah. it is a little bit bad but great at the same time. <laughs> How do you so when when you when you um when you criticize wrestling, is it? So we all have a theatre background. Is it the same as? Is it the same as sort of like critiquing theatre? The Do you know what I mean? Is it like a criticism of the or or like a, a the symphony or whatever? Is it like a critique of a performance, or is it something bigger than that? It's kind of wrestling's gone weird. I think this is the problem with wrestling: <laughs> is that you get two kinds of fans. You get the fans that will watch it as if it's a, a theatre piece and enjoy it for what it is, and then yeah. you get other people. And I kind of fall into this category, but I don't take it as seriously as some where you're so entrenched in what's going on behind the scenes and you, yeah. you, 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 know, you go on the internet to you know, watch some of the stuff that I do to, to find out about all the juicy gossip backstage that you actually criticise how the people backstage are then making these other people perform. And it, <laughs> and it becomes this bizarre... I, don't even, I can't even explain it. And that, I think, but I think that's why wrestling is so fascinating. And I think that's why a lot of people, when they move into adulthood, actually stick with it because they get obsessed with how it all comes together behind the scenes and now recently i think simply because the hardcore audience for wrestling especially in wwe has become the main audience you now got mm. a bunch of people that will boo somebody in the ring because they don't like the way he is being booked to use the wrestling term so then you're all of a sudden you're in the, it's this weird quasi world where you're actually booing the management but the guy in the ring is it would be like going to watch say uh, i don't know the phantom of the opera and booing whoever was playing the Phantom because you weren't happy with who the director was. <laughs> <laughs> like a panto almost. Yeah, it, it's like that. It's become absolutely bizarre, but also I think that's why it's so good. It's fascinating. The whole thing that's, is absolutely fascinating. That's amazing. Simon, can I ask, have you ever seen wrestling live? Like, I've, ever been and watched I've seen a lot of, maybe too much, I would argue, too much live wrestling. <laughs> what's, it, what's it like as a live experience? Are you the same kind of person you are when you're watching it, say on television no I, I like to lose myself in it I'm still that guy when you're you know caught up with the atmosphere and, and everything like that the best thing about watching wrestling live is I mean it depends what wrestling you go to see but if you're you know if you're ever 100% like is wrestling fake just go watch it live you're like, oh yeah it's definitely it's definitely fake <laughs> when you, I mean, it's still fun and it's still like it's still like if you went to watch acrobatics or anything like that yeah. but when you are live and there aren't camera cuts and especially if you go to see a non-televised show where the lights are low and the production values are a lot less sometimes it is hilarious it's like it's just not, not, I mean it, obviously it hurts but you can yeah. just tell it's so obvious but I, I, so I think that's why I love it I love it because it's it really is silly I think it's the silliest thing on the planet and yet a lot of people myself included take it very seriously <laughs> have you ever have you ever have you ever jumped into the ring to show them how it's done not yet but soon so oh, you're training right I am yeah yeah my goal is still to have a match this year so what we in August right. so like four months or five months whatever it is I, as you know so yeah countdown is on until I until I pop up somewhere and just well I'll probably lose I mean, I'll probably lose but we'll wait and see what happens. Have you got a wrestling name like? Uh, well, I think I'm going to use my name. I was having this discussion with somebody the other day, and it's simply because one of the wrestling outlets I work for, What Culture, are so big now, 
and because mm. uh, they are kind enough to let me host some of their shows, that a lot of people just know my name, and a lot right. of, and a lot of these wrestling fans go to these wrestling shows, so it would seem silly not to not to use my name. So, I wa- I watched main event for the first time the other day uh, in a in a long long time because how the how the wrestling re- week is kind of structured, I think I'm right, is that you've got Raw, SmackDown, and then main event is a kind of like a little subset of other matches and catch up of what's gone on over the week over the week is that correct that's is that right yeah kind of, yeah um and uh, i watched a fight with two of the most uh, it was a tag team cruiserweight battle with two of the most uh, a sort of boring named wrestlers <laughs> so boring that i can't remember one of them just had the in front of his name brilliant and his name was something like kenneth Brannigan. And the other one was called something called something like Dirk Angle or Gable or something like that. The Dirk Angle. <laughs> no, no, not good enough for that. Apparently, he's really good, but they lost. The, they lost the fight. So, um, <laughs> but, but, um, they're over. Yeah, they're over now. They they were they were up against two luchador wrestlers who were all about the rope work, and they had no chance. <laughs> so, uh, I, I actually went to school with a guy who uh, became. He, he he did become sort of semi-professional wrestler. He did a lot of um, luchador wrestling. What was his name? Um, I think begins he... with the. Chad <laughs> <laughs> um, Gable. I think he may have gone as Poseidon because I remember um, we've been out of touch for a, for a long time, but just through like Facebook and stuff. That you know, obviously, just like kept abreast of what he was doing, and he had a massive um, bright orange octopus tattoo. On his on his chest and had like koi carps all down his arms. He had like um, like sc- like bright green scaled um, uh, tight trousers on and Trident. his persona. Damn right yeah, he, he this, did. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And so he was. So that was his persona as, as Poseidon, wow. Poseidon of the ring, so, god of the sea. So, yeah. So are you gonna Simon? Are you gonna have a? Are you are you gonna be? Because I think you can go one of two ways with costumes with wrestling. You can either go, you can either go, you know, Seaman of the Ring, I suppose. Yes. Uh, or you can go not the Sega version of, of that. Not the Sega version. Uh, or you can go sort of like, um, like Kurt Angle, that sort of like I'm an Olympian. It's a great question, and I actually was having a conversation with this with someone else. I don't know. Because you're basically looking at pants, tights, or singlet. That's basically <laughs> that's basically your three things, and neither of them massively appeal when you actually think about what they are. You don't feel more. You don't feel kind of like just like you put one of them on. You're like, no, this this feels right. You don't put that singlet on and think, you know what? This this is what it is. Maybe I need to buy all three and see how they feel. The problem is they're not cheap. You think a pair of wrestling pants would be cheap? It costs a lot of money. So really? yeah, so I'm thinking if I get all three made, we're talking close to a thousand pounds. So I'm like, do I? Yeah, and it's like, do I? Do I want for thin trousers? The boots alone are about three hundred quid. It's madness. Jeez. It's mad. I mean, you can get like a pair of, of crappy boots, but you know, you're gonna just get into JD Sports. Well, that's the thing, yeah. But you're gonna roll your ankle straight away and be like, I'm okay, guys. I'm okay. Uh, so I don't know. I genuinely have that conversation. I don't know pants, tights, or singlet. It's it's difficult. I don't. I'm not sure. I'd, I'd much rather just wear jeans and a t-shirt, but I think I'll get. <laughs> I don't think I'll get yeah. away with it. Yeah, Simon the Casual Miller. That's right. There is actually a wrestler in WWE who does wear jeans and a t-shirt, which again means <laughs> I have less chance of doing it because that's already been taken. Yeah, so, you know, that's the thing with wrestling. You have got to come up with something new. If you're going to do something different, it's got to be new. So I don't. Mm. And I'm not sure. It's difficult. It is difficult. So what is new in the world of wrestling that's been leading up to them needing a summer slam? <laughs> oh, it's been great. It has been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've enjoyed the last few weeks, mostly because of this giant man called Braun Strowman. Which, mm. Pete, last, I will say, last time we spoke about wrestling, Pete, during the conversation, yeah. you were like, oh, I'm going to have a look on the website and have a look. And you had a look yeah. on the website <laughs> and you had some pictures of wrestlers. And you just sat there yeah. kind of shocked and went, Dan, this guy is absolutely huge. (laughs) That person turns out to be Braun Strowman, who at the time when you said that was a bit of a a nothingy bit part player on the roster. Whereas now they've changed the way they're booking him and he is absolutely up there, one of the top guys. Has has somebody, has uh, Vince McMahon gone, he's massive, why don't we give him more work? 
Pretty Frank, much, I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. pretty much. <laughs> cool. But he is amazing. He's a lot of fun. Because he's kind of like, wrestling is weird. Sort of, I don't know, six, seven years ago, every, nobody wanted big guys anymore. They wanted these more average looking, average is not fair, but you know, a, small, a smaller guy that was more athletic. Be like CM Punk, that kind of thing. Yeah, and now, we, now we've gone the other way and apparently we all want big overblown <laughs> monsters again because wrestling fans can never make up their mind. I mean, the answer is to have a balance, right? But we can never, mm. we can never do that. But he's just great because, yeah, you do look at him and you go, this man is obscene. He's absolutely ginormous. Then he just runs around and beats people up and you're like, yeah, wrestling's great. So they're kind of, and he's going against another guy who's essentially exactly the same in Brock Lesnar. I think, you know, kind of has a bit more mainstream appeal because he was in UFC for a while too. So you've basically got two big dudes. Then you've got another guy called Samoa Joe who's basically the same. And Roman, you know what? It's just four big dudes. It's just four big dudes beating the crap out of each other. And for that some reason, awesome. that's it. Yeah, it is. It is really, What's really good. What's not to love? I mean, it'll be really hard hitting too. The only thing I do worry about SummerSlam is apparently it's going to be like seven hours long. <laughs> I can't wow. handle another seven-hour wrestling show. WrestleMania this year was seven hours, and by the end of it, I thought maybe I could just kill myself. And um, <laughs> and then it was about four and a half hours. I was like, I just kill myself, and then I never have to experience this again. I mean, I was I was similar to kind of Sam, probably. I think in the in the terms of when I was watching it originally, and I got back into it around about eighteen months ago. And actually, one of the reasons I got back into it 18 months ago, so I started watching the What Culture channel. So I watched this oh, video, really? which is like giving me information, which kind of told me about information that I knew about back in the day, and also was introducing me to people like AJ Styles and Kevin Owens and stuff like that. And yeah. so when I started watching some of that, I knew then had an emphasis of actually, I know these guys are good. So I'd heard all about, I don't watch, say, NXT, but I'd known that Samoa Joe was someone I should be excited about. So when he came up and he appeared, now, now I'm aware, now I'm I'm ready for him. So one of my little... Um, Ambitions. My little Go on. Sort of, yeah, my... Uh, <laughs> start with the ab work. It only goes up from here, really. One of ABC. my little uh, treats that I like to give myself every once in a while uh, is I will go onto YouTube... And I will type in um, best wrestling surprise moments. Oh, it's the best thing in the world. Right. So so <laughs> I understand that at WrestleMania, people will be like, oh, my word. Like the, the Jim Ross guy will go, oh, my goodness me. Look over there. It's this guy. Now, is there a chance that, is there a chance that that's going to happen at SummerSlam? And if yes, who is likely to make a return at this point? I don't know about a return. Ooh. I can't think about it, but I think there may be a surprise in, you know, when you get to fantasy booking land. So there's a man uh, called Baron Corbin who's on SmackDown, and he won the Money in the Bank briefcase. Sorry, Money in the Bank right. contract. We don't say briefcase. We're not allowed to say that. Okay. Even yeah. though it's a briefcase. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but we have to say contract. That's, that's the rules. Um, yeah, he, so that basically means he can cash that in for a world title opportunity whenever he sees fit. And WWE take that very literally. So there's always the chance he could come out after one of the uh, um, planned world title matches and cash that in. And that's always a surprise. That always gets a reaction from the crowd. But in terms of wrestlers that could come back, I don't even know who's out there that they could go after. So no, I don't think there is. I think they've done them all. Which I don't is think there's anyone kind of long-term injured or... There's, there's, from where I'm aware of, there's no one out there that if they were to show up, everyone would be like, oh my God. I didn't see this coming. There's no one mm. huge in NXT who could step up, I don't think, at the moment. Yeah, the, the other problem is, ever since WWE killed off WCW in like 2001, they've now gone through all the old nostalgic stars. So right. that's the show. And the last guy was kind of Goldberg, and he came back last year. AJ Styles is now in the WWE. So it's kind of like, we've run out of old dudes because we're getting mm. old, and therefore life is passing us by. And I think one of the, the other problems that the WWE has, and probably why it is getting a bit slump, is that there's no one that's really filled those gaps that that they that they held. There's no one with the, you know, with the presence of Undertaker or Kane, or even like, it seems like John Cena's bubble has kind of burst a little, slightly. He doesn't seem, I've not seen him as much around as as um he used to be um i don't know if he is whether he's been injured or not but like when i started getting back into wrestling cm punk was there and i thought ah oh, this is the new kid you know this is you know 
a, a guy who's as arrogant um, but as stylish as a rock who could who could be up there and have a long lasting career and then he was was he fired or he was chucked out of the WWE he, he was he walked away basically I think he walked away yeah from it and then you know like um, Daniel Bryan like all these like massive people seem to be coming up but no one seems to be able to have held that position you know when I was a kid those long standing superstar names across an entire sort of generation I don't think there's anyone currently in the roster that you would put at the same kind of level of popularity and longevity as people like The Rock, people like Stone Cold. I don't think at the moment those people are there. The people currently wrestling is that just a generational thing, or is that just? Yeah, I bet people. I bet there are a load of kids with John Cena T-shirts on that you know. I I do think that's the case. I do think like it's weird when you when you see a kid watch wrestling something goes off in your brain you're like oh yeah of course <laughs> so it's like because you know whereas i'm not saying all adults do this but there are there is, like, again there is a, a certain type of fan that will you know they'll judge the ratings and they'll judge the buy rates and they'll be like oh look wrestling's terrible and then you see a kid just in the front row going crazy for john cena and you're like yeah yeah oh yeah you know i, I forgot and it is kind of different because if you dig her up on hulk Hogan, the ultimate warrior wrestling was massively successful then. Yeah. same in the late yeah. 90s with austin the rock it was massive and while it's not as massive as it was then to a kid who doesn't care about that stuff and just sees big guy on or big girl on tv you know that's it they they, they just buy in so in you know 15 years time they'll be having this conversation about john cena going well there's nobody like john cena anymore <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, it is very generational in that sense but at the same time, I think the difference now is, apart from John Cena, there's no mainstream stars. That's the thing. Mm. Nobody crosses over into the public eye. There are a few people and that I'm sure have name value thanks to social media and just how small the world is. But I remember back in, you know, in the late 90s, people like the Austin and the Rock were, they turned up on the big breakfast. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they, they, you know, and I know that wrestlers still do that when they come over to the UK, but it does not have that same, holy crap. Like, I remember that mm. uh, in America, they put, and this shows how old this is, they put Stone Cold Steve Austin on the cover of their TV guide. I think maybe it's called TV guide. And I remember, because that's when that did like eight, it did millions, you know, and everyone's like, you put a wrestler on the front of a, and that's because he was a, he, was a, he wasn't a wrestling star. He was just a star. And that, yeah. d- that definitely applies to John Cena, because he just got cast in the new Transformers movie. You know, which is a proper big triple mm. A Hollywood Jeez. blockbuster. So he's he's kind of made that transition. And I think the problem now is there isn't even anybody close. Like the guy they'd like that to be is Roman Reigns, and Roman yeah. Reigns is just he's like a science project. It's just well, he's <laughs> it, it, just like we could sit here for hours and just break down the reaction and the uh, and the plan for Roman Reigns and how dire it's been. Not necessarily dire, but how it's just failed miserably. Although right. it did have one of the best kind of promos of the year where following WrestleMania where Roman Reigns uh, defeated The Undertaker and theoretically put him in retirement, the following night on Raw, he came out to it was good, yeah. the most toxic reception you could possibly imagine. He stood there in the middle of the ring for about eight and a half minutes without saying a word as just the crowd just <laughs> pelted him with abuse. And then Brilliant. said like five words, like "This is my yard now," and walked off. And it was amazing. It was amazing. But they've not pursued that, and that's the problem. <laughs> well, again, that, that reaction get... is incredible. If yeah, that's the yeah. reaction you're going for, and he's got mm. that reaction, but they still want to try and give him something different. And that's what I find. That's why wrestling gets strange because the whole thing was always you listen to the audience, you do what the audience wants. They don't do that now. They go, no, 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 no. We know what you should be doing. And therefore, we're going to push this really hard. And the audience yeah. knows they're doing that. So the audience goes, well, screw you. We're not going to do what you want. And you have this weird game of tennis where nobody wins. And it's, it, that's why wrestling is so fascinating. That's why I do think you get to a certain age where you do transition away from I'm enjoying this as a show to I'm enjoying yeah. this as almost as a business and as how it, yeah. and how it works and that does I don't know any wrestling fan at our age doesn't get into it and within six months to a year starts going oh what does this mean and what does that mean and that's it they're hooked mm. they're hooked and well, they that go was out when, their I, way. when I when I got back into it that was one of the first things I realised that suddenly there was just not just an understanding but the conversation wasn't just around who 
beat someone in the in the title match. It was, what does that mean? To who's going to win based on how it's being booked and the storyline as it's playing out? And that was really interesting to me because it was like, I was coming back to wrestling, but I was also coming to it at a completely new angle that suddenly you kind of look back when you're watching it as a kid and thinking, oh yeah, that's why that happened. Now I see it from that behind the scenes kind of storyline driven business point of view it adds a whole new layer of enjoyment to it i think yeah i i, I totally think that's true i think that's why a lot of wrestling fans are lifers as they say because <laughs> even though they may not watch <laughs> raw or smackdown each week they'll go on you know wrestlingobserver.com or whatever and they'll read vince mcmahon wasn't happy this week because blah blah and that's it that's what they want to know and but i think that's what makes wrestling so great you know it'd be, again it'd be going it'd be like going to see guardians of the galaxy 2 and coming away and go i didn't like that movie because they didn't treat you know chris pine oh not chris pine what's his name chris, uh, pratt. chris pratt in the way that i thought he should be treated like we talk about <laughs> it's a character on the screen Bonkers. Uh, and, it, and the way it's the fact that the fans and the audience now control all that too like they were in Raw last night. They were in Toronto, which is known as you know in Canada, which is known as a very sort of smart city, as they say, where they're well aware of everything that's going on backstage. So, if you were, say, a thirteen-year-old kid and you had no idea about that, you would watch that show and you would be utterly baffled. They boo all the bad, they boo all the good guys. You know, it's completely backwards because they know what they want and they don't appreciate what they're being given. And, and it's just, and you think, what other either form of sport ent- or entertainment does this? And it doesn't exist, and it's both a blessing and a curse because that does yeah. come up with it with its own problems. Because again, you have that weird game of tennis where nobody will pander to the other, but it also does make it fascinating, and that's why I'm obsessed with it because there's nothing else like it. It's just, and then you remember it's just dudes in their pants. Yeah, and you, it's like- it, always, it always keeps going back to you. Kind of, I sit there looking at it, and suddenly I realise I'm sat on the tube. People could be looking at me <laughs> watching just two men in pants roll around a ring together. Yeah. <laughs> well, people. People do that to me, but I'm not watching wrestling. <laughs> I have to make an apology, guys. Because you know how... Uh, I know. <laughs> Should it almost uh, be a feature on the show? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> apologies. Listen, I've got to make an apology. Um, so we had an email. So you know it's serious when we say we've, we've had an email. So Chris and I uh, did the podcast last time and uh, we thought we'd discovered I mean I say we I'm trying to get Chris in trouble mostly uh, (laughs) take him down with me we thought we'd discovered a Phoenix Down-esque play on words uh, and gone oh my goodness me this is the thing in the game Miles and Kylo as as we were referring to I've actually had an email from the creator of Miles and Kylo (laughs) a wonderful mobile game Um, so what what was the play on words well so here's the thing uh the game is called i was calling it miles and kylo and chris was like oh like miles and kilometers because it's k-i-l-o all right okay and uh and i was like oh my word i think we've i think we've parappa the rapper this (laughs) and like and like really broken it down and gone oh right yeah brilliant play on words here um so uh mike got in touch and he said uh Actually, uh, Miles and uh, Miles and Kylo is a play on miles and kilometers. The two co- uh, characters, all right, Chris. The two <laughs> characters have kind of contrasting personalities, uh, and I thought those names would be a fun way of hinting at that. Uh, if you, a little Easter egg, if you go to the stats menu on the main menu, you can see the total distance you've run in miles and kilometers. Oh, yeah, and just to clear it up, it's pronounced kilo. Um, uh, so it's Miles and Kilo there you go that's the game on iOS and he also says I can't wait to make a strategy role playing game called Metric and Imperial and uh, <laughs> I'm going to hold him to that because that actually sounds like a great it. idea um, really? does it? yeah Metric and Imperial where that's... you have to like wait, wait. <laughs> right I'm going to battle that army 1,374 <laughs> metres away <laughs> sorry you don't quite reach on this Imperial army thank you <laughs> yeah. You've I'll got to quiet. judge the distances just so much so it covers an imperial and metric depth. <laughs> so you're basically what you're saying is that you're wrong about everything. Yeah, I'm just. And we should uh, always I'm trust Chris over you. Basically, there should be a tiny little asterisk right at the end of the podcast every single show. <laughs> Probably and said the, something yeah, wrong. 
Yeah, probably <laughs> wrong about all of this stuff. To be fair, Pete, I remember um, a number of years ago um, us having a conversation. I think someone mentioned using kind of the phrase of blowing smokes up someone's ass, and then Chris yeah. came out in his classic <laughs> oh, fashion yeah. of telling us the origin of that. To which point, we all sat there and said, "You are absolutely talking out of your ass. That's completely <laughs> yeah, it, wrong." It is not. It is not that pe- people in the People in the old days would take a pair of bellows yeah. and blow smoke up the butt yeah. of yeah. people who had drowned, drowning, so that they would revive. Wait, is that is is that legit? That's legit. Yeah. You would think it wasn't, right? <laughs> the first time you hear it, you assume it's nonsense. You as- you assume that Chris has gone off on one. That sounds, <laughs> yeah. I mean that yeah. Hence why I reacted with with shock and awe because I can't, <laughs> why did this happen? But I think on the plus side, you've just found your wrestling persona. <laughs> I can, you're right. I can beat them and then blow and then blow smoke up their ass. I like it. That's good. That's good. But but since that day, I've known never ever ever question Chris when he comes out with a random story because yeah. generally it's yeah. going to be true. It's going to be well, fine. other than the time that he said that we all start life as buttholes. Yeah. <laughs> this is gold. I'm learning so much. <laughs> when, when Dan, the first thing to come out of Chris's mouth when Dan announced to all of us that he was having a child was that it will start life out as a butthole. Yeah. And, <laughs> and grow from there. Yeah. Is that true? So, Dan, that yeah, apparently it is true. We, we, we all will. start out as buttholes. No. Well, I mean, I, the intention I did it was was to kind of, I suppose it was something quite humbling, really, that no matter how big you are, you all began life. I find it difficult to believe that after oh, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, yeah. we found that the quickest way to gestate is to start off with the asshole and then yeah. build out. Yeah. Brain? No. Huh? No. <laughs> Arsehole. We've all got one of those and they're all the same. Yeah. Now you say it, it actually makes a lot of sense to me. I'm actually starting <laughs> yeah. to sub it. That's in the middle, isn't it? It explains a lot of people's personalities. Um, <laughs> we were all together for the big joining of the minds. Sure. Um, the la- the last time we're all going to be together before Dan has his child, so you know, we made we made good time of it and played lots of games. We spoke about it on a podcast, yeah. Um, but one game that we didn't talk about at that time was actually Captain Sonar, mm. which is a game that you guys, not Simon, uh, got for me. <laughs> uh, cheap scam. Sorry, um, yeah, <laughs> um, for my birthday, which. I mean, that's a story of itself. Just how difficult it was to get oh to get gosh. hold of. Three, Chris, att- three attempts, basically. Three attempts to two buy time, the game. Two times eBay had to step in because the seller, <laughs> for whatever reason, just didn't send it or sent it and said it had been sent and it hadn't. So yeah, third time lucky. Anyway, so I, so in either, English, what I love about that story is is that either they genuinely didn't send it, or there's a post room in Liverpool. Who are having a whale of a time with two <laughs> copies of Captain <laughs> Sonar somewhere? Just Everyone can play. <laughs> so, um, Simon, are you familiar with uh, Captain Sonar? I did. Sonar? I, I did look it up earlier. Uh, yes, I mean, right. I've never, I've never played it, but after uh, seeing its name, I did look it up. And it, board games are a funny thing to me because I love a good board game, and yet I never play them. Mm. And it's, it's that kind of. So, I mean, what a redundant thing to say! It's like I love saving lives. <laughs> But I ignore people <laughs> when they're dying. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it's one of those things. I used to play Carcassonne loads back in the day, which I think a lot of mm. people did just because that, you know, became mm. like one of these games, especially when it was on Xbox Live. Everyone was like, oh, Carcassonne's really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I never, I've never really sort of embraced that side of things, which I really should do because every time I sit down to play one, in fact, I put it away now. I, I, I bought one the other day, and it's still sat over there, wrapped up, but I can't see it from here. I've just got a, you know, I've got a man up. Go get these board games played. <laughs> well, you will absolutely love Captain Sonar. When Sam explained it to me, I was like, mm. "Hmm, this mm. actually sounds amazing." It's very much unlike a bunch of board games. So, yeah, I mean, you're probably the best at describing it, Sam. Okay, here we go. Well, you mentioned like how you know you get games, you love to board game, but you never play them. And but Captain Sonar has been one of those games because ideally you need eight players to play it, um, 
and that rarely ever happens because I just don't have any friends really <laughs> no. that many. Um, so world, when we it? were all together and there was four of us that's kind of the first opportunity I had to play it and the idea is is that most of the heft of the game box comes with these two massive fold out D&D style screens that you spread across the middle of the table so both sides both teams um, are, are, what they're doing they're hidden from each other you can't tell what either side is 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 doing with the maps in front of them so one person is the on, on in a four player game one person is a radio operator the other person is both is well the captain and they're the engineer and also they are the first mate so ideally in an eight player game everyone's taking on uh one of the four roles on each side of the table so we've played quite a reduced version and and to boil it down to its constituents' parts, it's basically battleships. The captain has a map in front of them, which is you know numbered and lettered in a grid style, and everyone has their own little dry wipe pens, which is you know the best thing to come to board game technology. You know, that sort of <laughs> five or six. Every game's using dry wipes now. It's fantastic. Yep. And so sure. the captain will just plot a point. Obviously, the other team can't see where they're starting, and they just shout a direction: north, south, east, and west. So the other team, obviously their job is to try and hunt down this submarine that you're in um, and shoot torpedoes and lay mines and send out drones to try and find you, catch you and kill you. So there, on the other team, they've got a radio operator who has exactly the same grid but has a piece of acetate that they can move around. And so they make the marks and their job is to listen to the captain of the other team following their instructions to try and find out where their submarine is. While the captain and the engineer and the first mate are all working together to send the submarine in a direction so that they can use their torpedoes and they can fire off mines. So it's just this wonderful game of cat and mouse. And and the best thing about it is that we played it turn by turn. So me and Chris took a turn and then Pete and Dan took a turn and then it was back to us. But the best way to play it is real time. So the captains are just shouting out orders all the time, and the radio operators on the opposite teams That's have to great. listen to that. That would just be chaos across, yeah. across the table. It sounds excellent. I, that's what I love about board games. Like that level of just depth and ingenuity is awesome. I, I just think, yeah, I need to play more. Well, we've talked about this before about how so many different board games uh, work with lots of different themes. Like mm. you can, you know, there's a there's a game about you know stitching a quilt together and that's one of the most popular games at the moment you know like that's great one about one about sort of um farming a land one about doing you know lots of different themes there's a great one about rpg characters trapped inside a mall oh yeah magic maze magic maze and they have to get all their weapons before the mall closes yeah why not why not brilliant actually to, to tie it all in it's behind me right now i do have a luchador the Mexican wrestling dice board game, and that's awesome. What? That's what? amazing. So everyone, tell us all about it. this. Well, I have, see. I say that I haven't. I've never actually played it properly yet <laughs> <laughs> because nobody. I've never. I've, I've never had anyone to play it, but I've had it since February. <laughs> but I'm looking at it now, and, it, and I, mean, I, read, I read the rules ages ago. It, it basically is like uh, you start off as a as a lowly Mexican luchador, and you have to make your way up to the to the main event scene you do that through dice rolls and you know role playing it's basically like Dungeons and Dragons but for Mexican luchadors um, oh. and it sat there for when eventually somebody says I'll play it with you I'm like you're damn flipping right you will but <laughs> and it comes it comes with a mini ring and everything it looks great and oh, I, I, wow. I, I bought it ages ago it's fantastic so one day one day up. I thought I just remembered it was right there I was like, oh man I've got to bust that out given the, the topics on display right now oh yeah Sam is currently oh, on Amazon uh, searching yeah, for it. Can you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The mini ring really just sold it, I think. You, um, should, you should know that oh Sam does have a bit of a problem when it comes to purchasing board games. I don't have a problem. It's, it's <laughs> under control. <laughs> to Pete, Dunkirk. What do you think Dunkirk's about? Um, Seriously. Do I, you generally uh, know about Dunkirk? I mean... I mean... I'm sort of torn here because I mean, obviously, I know about the terrible tragedy, like tragedy at Dunkirk, 
but you're so driven by wanting to pursue comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. ignore that. <laughs> the, the, uh, yeah, I'm sort yeah, of... Yeah, no, but you also don't want to, um, you know, uh, uh, sort of besmirch the lives of those by making yeah. some sort of comedy answers. So I'm going to go ahead and put, like... I'm yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna reverse save a person's life. Pull all the air out of this one, uh, and say that it's a just horrible, sad movie about people dying on a beach for a for a cause that they may or may not have believed in. Is that it? What? Well, no. Loads of people didn't die on the beach. I thought they died on the beach. No. I, I mean, I have Are say, you thinking about the D-Day landings? Are you thinking about D-Day? This is the opposite of D-Day. Oh, my history knowledge is also equally <laughs> bad. All I know is I'm, I'm treading on eggshells here. What happened at Dunkirk? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a question. Does, what a question. We're in a slightly, ever so slightly I mean, safer zone. I'm now. assuming, like, I've seen a... I think I saw a trailer for this Dunkirk movie. It's, by, it's by the man who did Batman. Who was... Okay. <laughs> Bob Kane yeah. with Bill Finger. Bob Kane presents Dunkirk. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm assuming Adam that Adam. Uh, I mean, it, it, like, there's lots of stuff where there's boats and some men shouting. So I'm assuming it's either an invasion or them legging it. Well, y- yes, yes, there was a lot of legging it. Which I think is, I think, I think that's a tagline, isn't it? I think that's how Winston Churchill put it when he put the call out to all the uh, two words: <laughs> leg it, leg it. Over. <laughs> we will fight them on the beaches. We will leg it to the landing ground. <laughs> to be fair, it's good um, advice. It's good advice. <laughs> Not okay, wanting so, to disrespect the uh, no, our no, ancestors. No, no, no. Okay, so, so so Dunkirk. You're right, Pete. It's by Christopher Nolan. Uh, it's one of his shortest films. I think shortest film since Memento. Um, it talks about basically. Um, the point in the Second World War um, where um, you had about 330,000 Allied troops that were kind of stranded on the coastal town of Dunkirk in France. Um, Basically, between them and home was the English Channel and behind Mm -hmm. them and encroaching upon them was the enemy. And uh, this uh, film has a kind of tripart kind of structure um, where it's told from land, sea and air. So... On the land, you see it from the soldiers' point of view, a week in their life on the beaches, waiting for a ship to take them back or trying to find a way back. On the boats, you see it in a day, um, because basically what would happen would be the actual um, people who weren't fighting the conflict would just bring their fishing boats from England over to try and pick up the Allied troops. Because their boats were smaller, they could make their way into the shallow waters, and there's less chance of them being sufficiently bombed out of the air by the enemy aircraft because that was a problem they were sitting ducks essentially because uh the uh, the opposition were basically just created this blockade there's no point them wasting manpower on the enemy they could just wait for them to be picked off by the aircraft above and the other narrative arc is those who are in the planes above and they you see an hour in their life so the whole film kind of goes back and forth between these different narratives and they kind of overlap or overtake each other because obviously there are different time limits and Chris Nolan loves playing around with time and things. So what you have put together is this kind of breathless event that feels very compressed that is a mixture of the, the kind of futility of conflict but also there's a little bit of hope there. It isn't overly sickeningly patriotic there's no kind of big grandiose speeches even though it's got Kenneth Branagh in there it's not a character (laughs) piece really the dialogue is really sparse it's more like a silent film and behind it you've got Hans Zimmer's kind of ticking clock that kind of just keeps it on pace and keeps that tension there it's a very tense experience Um, and you've got actual spitfires flying I mean it's filmed more or less entirely in IMAX so it just fills the screen and we saw it in IMAX in Manchester And it's extraordinary. You've got actual Spitfires flying um, and crashing. And it's just breathtaking in terms of scope and scale. To give you an idea how breathtaking it was, my girlfriend needed the toilet about 20 minutes in into the production. So she kind of turned to me and went, I need the the low. And and so she went, I'll I'll wait for a slower bit to go. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, an hour later... 
Yeah. Um, there was just no point in the movie. Even there was a bit where they were in the hull of a boat and the Germans were shooting it for target practice and all the water was dripping through. And I and I helpfully turned to her and said, this isn't helping much, is it? <laughs> a lot of water. But, but one thing I will say, if you're expecting it to be something like Saving Private Ryan in terms of that gruesome mm. um, aspects, it isn't that at all. There are obviously some dark moments in it, but it's not a kind of gruesome bloodbath that one sees in, say, something like Saving Private Ryan. Well, that, that's actually something um, that I'd... Because I'd, I've, I've not seen the film, but I'd kind of... I've heard a couple of things about it, and one of the things I'd heard was people commenting on the fact that um, there is a kind of a, a lack of blood, um, which is obviously a directorial decision not to kind of show that level of gore or gruesomeness or kind of that visceral kind of... Um, element of the film did that was that something you noticed whilst watching it or is it only maybe when you think about it later on you think oh yeah they didn't show that because obviously with something like Saving Private Ryan that's obviously very much they they uh, Spielberg uses that element of colour that kind of red for really really good effect within that and it kind of really brings home the devastation of kind of that attack so how does it work kind of the other side of it where you don't really see much of it you feel that it's the end of a conflict like it's almost as if they've used up all the blood um, you feel that this is a war coming to the end and actually you realise watching it that anyone could have won honestly it doesn't feel it feels just so kind of bleak obviously we're watching it with the element of hindsight that know the actual outcome but it honestly it just it feels like everyone's just knackered and it's and almost it's, as if they've run out of blood at that point yeah, that's no, what it feels like it's probably more to do with the fact that not actually many people you see get killed it's the tension of the the planes coming overhead because the Ger- historically the Germans actually even though they could have just bombed them because it was really bad weather at the time and because bombs don't have a massive effect if you land them in the sand the sand just swallows them up so you don't actually get that much sort of kill area for your weapons they just they just left them they just cornered them so there wasn't actually it wasn't like carnage like D-Day was and I think what Spielberg was trying to do with Saving Private Ryan was smash this kind of image that D-Day was this massive heroic sort of you know standing up to Jerry and marching on the beaches and just marching towards them and just they just folded I think that's kind of what Spielberg was trying to get with that with that scene was to actually put in front of people who were two two or three generations apart from the war and go actually you know you've been taught this in history that we just turned up to the beaches and then we won but this is actually what happened you know it mm. was a massacre whereas here in dunkirk it's it i think what christopher nolan was trying to do was trying to just get the sense of the urgency and the um the tension of that piece of people just waiting there that uncertainty and one of the the best bits of the film is when they get they get back spoilers they get back and Aww. they're all, um, and most of the soldiers are expecting to be ridiculed. They expect to come back and be absolutely hated because it's it's a retreat. They retreated from from right. battle. They they had to, people had to come in little jetties to save them. The army couldn't even save them. The the tools that they had were too big, too monstrous, too cumbersome to actually. So when they came back, they you know they said you know people aren't can't look us in the eye, but they in the end they're actually held as heroes. You know the fact that there was this massive big effort. And that's what spurned out of Dunkirk came Winston Churchill's, you know, we'll fight them on the beaches, we'll fight them on the landing grounds, we'll fight them on the hills. And it's from that there was that sort of first big stirring of we almost, where we were losing, but then there's this big sort of change of the tide. Well, you sold me on the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I'll go see it. I want to see it anyway, but now I definitely do. So Go and see it in IMAX as well. I love Chris Nolan. I think Chris Nolan's the man, so... I'm involved. He is. Yeah, he's he, brilliant. And um, like IMAX is kind of you know that's his vision. That's what he wanted it to be. And you know your your guts shake every time a Spitfire comes over. That sounds great. And it's just you you never get like obviously you 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 know your bladder will not get a chance to relieve itself. It's just that should be on the poster. Absolute, yeah, that should be the poster. <laughs> <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a film that you'll never sit down and go, "Yo, you know what I fancy tonight? 
Dunkirk. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not that kind of movie. It's not you know. It's not something you'll just whack on. I'm in. I'm involved. I wanted. Good, I, 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 guess I was. I was up for it anyway. I love. I love war, and I love Christopher <laughs> Nolan. So. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, we're we're having a war day, aren't we? Yeah, we are on, on Friday. Friday. Friday having yeah. a war day. Unfortunately, we can't play Captain Sonar as part of war day. No, it's a two-hander. I think that'd be chaos. <laughs> there were very few one-man submarines. What are you? Mm. What's your war day consisting of? We'll, so we'll play a bit more Memoir Forty Four because um, we're working our way through the campaign book of that. So that's been that's been really good fun. That's great. And then we're going to deepen deep dive back into War of the Ring or maybe Battle of the Five Armies God help me Chris brought it around the other day and everything's in its own little velveteen bag and everything's got a sack he handed me this leather pouch that I wasn't sure whether that's been cupping something you, your mind went there, Sam. Your mind went there. <laughs> it looked like the kind of thing that Simon might wear in the ring <laughs> to keep his modesty um, it was oh I don't know what I don't know what websites you've been buying. Stuff <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to tell me because you're more you're obviously more knowledgeable about it than me. Oh, but this little leather leatherette satchel. Can you but stop you... miming it by your groin? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it looked like. Yeah. So we're having a war day, which that'll be fun. Um, you got to put a day aside because these things take time. Oh gosh, yeah. They're not light and frothy war games, are they? No, <laughs> but treating them as such is, you know, very. It's all right. You've always got Call of Duty WW2 at the end of the year if you want your more yeah. cinematic <laughs> or yeah. experience. Yeah, I mean, Gosh, yeah. With its, with its zombie mode. Yeah. How do they get away with it? I don't get how they get away you with it. You thought they were bad the first time. My favourite bit was where uh, there were some uh, fans who complained because there were, in kind of the multiplayer, you, they were allowing kind of female characters. And the argument oh, right. was that that's not, that's not realistic. There weren't there weren't females in in World War Two, and like the same oh, people are like yes zombie mode yes <laughs> monumental balance. I don't I'll never understand how that zombie mode is is okay. It makes no sense to no. me that I mean I don't mind it, but I do mind it when this is a different conversation, different time when you've got all the developers going. Yeah, we really want the uh, the younger generation. We really want the younger generation to learn about World War Two through our game. You're like wait <laughs> wait wait. I don't mind you making a World yeah. War Two game. I think you do it very well, but you've you've crossed the lines pick, anyway. Pick one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I woke up the other morning. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and uh, uh, I I had to uh, obviously perform my daily morning ablutions. Sure. And uh, I was at the toilet at the pan, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> this is taking a weird turn. I know, I was wearing my dressing gown and then I noticed on the corner of my dressing gown a big house spider mid-flow, okay? <laughs> and I'd been out the night before so there was a lot to get through. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was at that moment that I realised in some parallel universe somewhere there is Sam who would deal with that situation and just let Spider crawl <laughs> over face yeah. and be like, nah, well, here we go. You know, have a little play, look at it, keep myself occupied. But in this universe... No. If, if you were to give that spider a name, what would you call it? Uh, um, hang on. Sorry, we've just see, we just come back from Spider-Man Homecoming, so there's only one name going through my head, <laughs> through my head at the moment. Penis Parker. There we go. There go. Perfect. Um, <laughs> what Sam doesn't know is that um, I, I stayed over at Sam's and I, I had the misfortune of using the bathroom after him. Um, and I, I, I went to the sink and I saw this spider on the sink and I took a Did picture you? of it. And I have it on my phone. Did, do you? Yeah, I, got, right. I have my picture on my phone. I'll send it to you Whoop. in the WhatsApp group. And I mean, I'll just describe it for now. Basically... It was so small, my camera couldn't pick it up. <laughs> so, it was bigger than that. No, no. It was. It was, was bigger than that. I had no. to disrobe mid-flow. No. That's intense. And then stride naked from the bathroom into the other room to get some dress. To get a dress? To get, <laughs> to get some dress. That's the only way you can beat a spot. Everyone knows that. <laughs> I'll beat you at your game. Look, I'm sending this in the WhatsApp group now. Okay, it's can tiny. you describe it for Simon? Who's yeah, not... I will. I will describe it for Simon as well. Actually, I'll get. Yeah, Simon I'd like to, to know. Describe. I don't feel left out. Hold on. Hold on. Let's have a look. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, if I'm. Is it just? It wasn't. No, it wasn't. 
That's just I mean, a stain. That was, it had little legs. I was following it around. That's why it's slightly blurred. Right, so obviously we'll put this up on the Twitter feed. But <laughs> this is... I mean, if we were to just upload that with no context whatsoever, it would look like... Somebody would respond with, that's just a slightly blurry white photo with basically nothing in it. A smudge. A, a smudge. In fact, yes, I would call it. I would call the spider smudge. It's a good name for and a spider, what, to be fair. Yeah, it's a pretty good name. <laughs> that would sell that? more children's books than... Penis Parker. <laughs> can we talk about Can we talk about the Jewish wedding next time? Uh, yeah. It's yeah. More fresh in my mind. Unless, now, unless but... Simon, do you want to hear about Sam going to a Jewish wedding? I kind of do because I'm Jewish. So now I'm intrigued. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. No, then you I want to so <laughs> You You can fact check. Okay, fact check. Don't worry. I've got the crib sheet that we were all handed in front of us. Which okay. laid out exactly what happens during the ceremony and what happened. It sounds amazing. We all got the Snapchats. It looked incredible. This thing just... It was so good. It sounded amazing. It was genuinely one of the best and most incredible weddings I have ever been to. And no event ever that I've ever been to has been such a celebration of um, sort of two people not only coming together, but a whole community coming together to... Right to celebrate it with them so right. when we got we when we got to the synagogue to start off with already it was a, it was a little bit tense because they had security there and we were kind of like oh this is a little bit you know already sort of set itself apart from from you know other weddings that i've been to and right, unfortunately okay. that seems to be a bit of a necessity around manchester these days like even oh. the school even the jewish schools have security you know assigned to them and stuff like that it's just awful Jeez. yeah um but anyway, we the whole day was incredible. And then so we went into the synagogue and the first thing that happened is me and my girlfriend were separated. So okay. all the men sit on one side of the synagogue and all the uh, women sit on the other. And I don't know if you know Simon whether that's just a wedding thing or that's a traditional uh seating plan at synagogues. But the best thing about the Jewish religion is it's basically broken up into three uh three sects. And the way I like to <laughs> the three, the way I like to describe it is can't be asked, can be a bit asked, super asked. And, uh, yeah, right, yeah. Okay. and well, it's how we all began life. So I mean, exactly, yeah. So yeah, with the orthodox, if you're orthodox Jew, yeah, they still do separate men and women in synagogues. I'm I'm reform, which is kind of asked. So they don't do that in reform right. synagogues. You can just sit with whoever you want. So yeah. Okay. Okay. So so we so we were separated. So they were very asked. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> and it was it was a the, the the it was a black tie wedding. So all the men were in tuxes. And all the women were in, in ball gowns, and they have like you got to cover your shoulders and cover your head if you're if you're married or we have been married and you're a woman in a in a synagogue. So we were sitting on the side, and it was like the meeting of the elders. You know, all these Jewish men together in their tuxes, you know, cool. surveying the scene. And in the in the centre of the room, we had the band, and the band were incredible. They played this band from two o'clock in the afternoon till about midnight, non-stop. Everything was soundtracked. Everything had a back. Even the father of the groom's speech had a soundtrack along to it. <laughs> like it was that kind of wedding. <laughs> I just picture somebody like a '70s sitcom. As soon as every time somebody comes out of the toilet, they play a little guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so to kind of briefly go over the ceremony, we were given a um, a sort of a, a rundown of what, what happens and what everything means. And in in the the ceremony takes place underneath the chuppah, which represents the house of the couple. Okay. And so everyone's there. And so the the idea is the whole idea of the day is that these two people are coming together and they're building a house within this community and they're building this world together. Like the the um, the bride, who's referred to as the Hatan, uh, has to circle the Kala, who's the groom, seven times, which represents the seven days it took for the earth to be created and represents this world that they are that they are creating, the two of them. The best line of the day is, is when the rabbi said, the Katan will always be a king as long as he treats his Katan like a queen. And that was, you know, fabulous, like... Um, the rabbis were so sage and wise <laughs> and uh, and so the rest of the ceremony went on and they do a lot um, do a lot of blessings 
Um, There's like two blessings over cups of wine that they then have to drink. And then they have to pass something valuable um, to something, something of value or of worth has to be given to the bride, which is traditionally a ring, but I think can be sort of any kind of thing that's deemed as value. And um, there's lots of blessings. There was a few times where people in the audience would just start sort of singing and banging on the pews. And that was just incredible. And then there was this, there was a solemn moment where the groom has to break the glass under his foot. And that's to represent um, the, the uh, destruction of the temples in Jerusalem. Right. And it's, they they kind of took it as a chance to use it to kind of reflect on the fact that you know kind of what's happening in the world and the fact that they need a security and it's a really yeah, solemn yeah, moment yeah. and obviously everything's done and you know they're they're reading in the Aramaic text and speaking in Hebrew so everything's like everything's sung and everything's in this wonderful sort of archaic language and if and there was this moment where it's just really really solemn and everyone was like moment of reflection and he heard this glass smash. And then, like a flick of the switch, like the whole room just erupted. All the men stood up. Everyone sort of evaded the hooper of this house. And it was this idea of this whole community just standing up. And then the celebration just started. Hmm. And everyone just, like, sang in the synagogue. Um, everyone sort of sort of went into the hooper and congratulated them and celebrated them. And we went to the reception venue. And then we suddenly heard the music, like, strike up in the reception rooms, like... Oh, fantastic! You make go and sit down, and oh, they've already put the starters out. This is this is w- very well organised, <laughs> and we're sitting down, and, and no one was eating anything. And then suddenly, someone got onto the mic and said, "Ladies and gentlemen, your bride and groom." And suddenly, like these these white arches appeared from nowhere. <laughs> these people had like cannons of confetti. Music still playing. This band had not stopped from I think when the reception doors opened from about probably about four o'clock just just not stopped and this is about four thirty, and the bride and groom came down they're separated because uh, again because they were very asked um <laughs> so the bride so the so the men and the women don't dance together because it's considered uh, immodest okay uh for a man to watch a woman dance and a wom- woman to watch a man dance so and basically you're dancing yes particularly yeah. my dancing. <laughs> and then basically for the next 30 minutes non-stop the band did not stop playing music at all and everyone had their chance to dance or impress both the bride and the groom um so they would like everyone sort of got their chance sort of either dance for the groom or dance for the bride all the men dancing together and all the women dancing together obviously they got the chair out and they hit and like lifted the groom up into the sky and like um uh, dance with him that way. At one point, they brought a chair for the groom and got two kids, and he rested his feet on on the back of the kids, and then they got like a cloth, and like he was a boxer in the corner, and 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 like they were shining his shoes, ready, for, and like everyone was bringing him drinks and bring because it was you know this went on like he did not stop. Both parties did not stop for thirty minutes, just dancing with everyone and anyone who would come Brilliant. and dance with them. Brilliant. Then that faded away, and then we broke bread, then we had the starter. We thought, oh, this must be the music started again. Everyone gets up again. Everyone starts dancing again, and that went on. We did not have our desserts till about ten o'clock at night. Brilliant. And it was the most fabulous. And everything was just about the celebration of you know the community kind yeah. of bringing these these people together. What I love about about this about all of this is obviously that sounds fantastic but Simon's been smiling throughout this entire thing going yeah classic yeah, <laughs> like, it pretty much sounds like every Jewish wedding I've ever been to which I like <laughs> I, I like that tradition is so strong that it just permeates everything yeah, it, just, it just makes me happy it's just a template did, did the band overplay Havana Gila that's my last question Every Jewish wedding I've ever been to, Havana Gila gets played about 20 times you're like you got to stop playing Havana Gila now <laughs> we're, we're all done with that song <laughs> it's like it sounds. It sounds like a like um you know those pop stars that have like one hit like the yeah, people who did uh, like Friends like the Rembrandts like just playing okay and the Friends theme again. <laughs> <laughs> like, it is a lot like that. It really is. But it was it was brilliant because they they merged all these songs with like songs that I knew, but they did like Hebrew versions of them. 
Brilliant. Um, and when they were doing the grace after the meal, and they were singing, and um, like they, they were singing the prayers, they'd merge all the prayers into songs that I'd recognise. They started Maybe. like using the Star Wars theme and Match the Day <laughs> themes and things like this. And it That's was just, incredible. It was just the strangest experience um, to hear what was happening, and people would just like stand up and chant and hit tables at various objects chanting the match of the day for you yeah I just never I just never been to a wedding or a ceremony where there was that and obviously Simon I think you kind of confirmed what I thought that there was just that understanding of how these things are done and this like you could just feel the tradition dripping off dripping off the walls like just like everyone was just there and knew what was going on and what what was going to happen and just how to celebrate it was it was incredible we all said that we need to make more Jewish friends so we can go to more <laughs> Jewish weddings. Because nice. just you don't. There's no part you like it. It's brilliant. Can can I just say that Mister uh, <laughs> I don't know pop culture in the slightest. How do you know the band who sang the theme tune to Friends? <laughs> Look, you know nothing, and yet like that. You knew the Rembrandts. I'm always surprised about where Pete draws his knowledge from. (laughs) There are some things that you just have to know in life, and knowing that the Rembrandts did the theme tune to Friends is one of those things. I mean, how can you... (laughs) Can you name the characters from Friends? Oh, go on. Ross, Rachel, Chandler, Joey, Phoebe. That's pretty good, to be fair. Courtney. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's almost too good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's almost gone too far the other way. Yeah, not good. <laughs> that was staying in with Chris Darby, Daniel Frost, Peter Willington, and myself, Sam Turner. Of course, we were joined by the genius mind that is Simon Miller. And if you would like to hear more from him, then follow him on Twitter. At Simon Miller 316, of course. Uh, you can search for his work on YouTube. Uh, just look for the Miller Report. Uh, if you want to hear more of what Simon's got to say about wrestling, then just search for What Culture Wrestling. What Culture Wrestling, also on YouTube. And you can support the great man's work on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Simon Miller 316. If you'd like to show a bit of love our way, not just to Simon, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your content from. And do help us spread the word about the show. You can do this simply by uh, following us on Twitter at StayingInPod. You can visit stayingin.podbean.com for more information and links to the topics and discussions covered on this show. Once again, thanks very much for listening. And just before we go... Just a quick message that <clears throat> we probably did say something wrong. Ta-ra! <laughs>